So we're going to start today. Uh, today we're looking at a couple of different scriptures, Romans 5, 6 through 8, 1 John 3, 16. I'm going to also plug again, coupledcheckup.com. Uh, for those of you who are married, this is a great way to refresh your marriage, to take a look at what's going on in your marriage and, and just get, a, get an objective view of here's where we're strong, here's where we need to work. There is a cost to it. I did not mention that last week. Forgive me. The cost is $35. Um, you can pay for that online with a credit card. This is not $35 to me because I don't have anything to do with this company. Um, but, you know, that's, you, you pay that going out to eat, right? Most of the time, unless you go to Whataburger. So, um, and also, if you need counseling, we have, we have a counselor who offices in our church building. We also have numbers of counselors around our, our city and area. I can tell you this. The first year Carrie and I were married, we just had a hard time, and we didn't like each other much, um, and I wish, I wish we would have talked to somebody back then, somebody who could have said, hey, you two are just dumb, okay? You need... <laughs> they probably wouldn't have said it that way, but they would have said, hey, you know, this is not a big deal. This is nothing you can't overcome. I wish someone would have said to us, just just stay together, grow through this stuff, don't give up. Neither one of us ever left, but we were, we were so discouraged. We both thought, oh, is this the way it's always going to be? Thank God it wasn't, but we felt like it at the time. And, and if you need somebody to, to help give you some wisdom, who's talked to other couples, who's had some training, uh, let us know and we'll get you those numbers and you can jump in. The good thing is these days there's not the stigma there used to be with going to see a counselor. Uh, it used to be, oh, you, you must have problems. No, actually, you're a normal person if you go and, and get help from someone who's trained. Uh, you wouldn't say to somebody who has an inflamed appendix, oh, you're just a wimp, just, just tough it out. No, you go to a trained doctor who removes that thing, right? Same thing with issues uh, that you're dealing with emotionally or that you and uh, someone you love is dealing with. So that's out there. Uh, I'm going to say this again maybe every time. This is not a study specifically about marriage. This is about love. This is about the people who mean the most to you, the relationships that impact your life the most, the people you spend the most time with. Uh, so think about those people as we go through the, the, these two scriptures today. Think about if you're married, your spouse. Think about if you're engaged, the person you're engaged to. Think about your roommate, your best friend. Think about your kids. Think about your parents, your coworkers, whoever it is that relationship has an impact on your daily life. That's what we're talking about. And next week, we're going to get into some more practical stuff. Uh, this week, there will be some practical application, but last week and this week, we're kind of setting a biblical stage for what does love really look like? Because love, as it really is, as it's described in Scripture, is very different from what we hear about and the way we typically think about that subject. So imagine... For instance, you're an anthropologist from two centuries in the future, and you're looking back at 21st century America and saying, okay, what did they understand about love in the 21st century? So one of the things you might do is you might look at some of the things that were written and said and sung on the subject. So for instance, you might come across a list of the 100 greatest songs about love, which I did this week when I was getting ready. And so you're, you're from the 2200s, AD, and you're looking back at this list, and you notice that the number one song on the list, by the way, can anyone guess it? It's, it's a song by a British band with four members. All you need is love. Who said that? Very good. Teresa Harper. Good job. 
All you need is love, number one on the list. So that sounds hopeful, right? But then these, these titles are also on the list. Too much love will kill you, number 11. Love is a battlefield, number 18. Victim of love, number 24. And love bites, number 26. So that sounds like love can be a little bit scary. And maybe that's why Van Halen at number 28 says, ain't talking about love. But I guess they changed their mind because also on the list are why can't this be love and love comes walking in. And maybe it's because I just can't help falling in love with you. And that's also on the list two times. It's the only song on there two times. The Elvis version is number nine and then the the reggae version by UB40 is also on the list. So if you just judge the titles of songs and the lyrics of songs, you would think that our idea of love is it's, it's sort of like an addiction. It's something you sort of fall into against your will, um, and it can be exhilarating, but it can also wipe you out. It can destroy you. Uh, but you get sucked in no matter how hard you try to avoid it. Does that sound like something good? It doesn't sound good to me, all right? Um, and the thing is, most of those songs, if you read them, if you read the lyrics, almost all of them are about romantic love. And I'm not here to scoff at romantic love, but that's not what we're talking about in this study. I mean, I hate to be crude, but any idiot can fall in love. Any idiot can get his or her heart broken. That's not what we're talking about. What does God's word say about love? Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, the su- supposedly the wedding chapter, but it's not about wedded love. It's about loving one another. Uh, today, we're going to look at two other passages to see what we actually do, not how we feel, but what we actually do when we love someone. So the first one is Romans 5, Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the second scripture I want us to look at is 1 John 3.16. We all know John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, I would argue, is at least as significant. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So what those two verses have in common are... Of course, they're about love. Secondly, they're about the love Christ has for us. Thirdly, they they both say, this is the demonstration. This is what love really is. It's not God saying, boy, I love you so much, I just can't get you off my mind. It's not God saying, I love you so much, I'm gonna smother you and never let you out of my sight. It's It's what God does as a result of his love, not how he feels. So love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is something you do. And what we get from these passages, and there's three lessons I want us to look at, and here's the practical application, and then we're done. Number one, it's not love if it's easy. That's hard for us to admit. It's hard for us to accept. But when it's easy, it's not really love. It's not bad. I mean, if, if you're hanging out with your best friend and you're just having a great time, there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to love that person to do that. You might just find them interesting. You might just find them funny. You might just find them enjoyable. Doesn't mean you love them. 
When your kids bring home something from school that they've made just for you, when your son hits a home run, when your daughter plays that picture-perfect recital and you're so proud of her, that's not love. There's nothing wrong with the pride you feel, with the joy you feel in them, but it's not love until it's hard. It's not love until it's sacrificial. Romans 5, let's review this, calls us three different adjectives. It says we were powerless. It says we were ungodly. And it says we were sinners. Now, I love Max Lucado. Anybody else here familiar with Max Lucado, the Christian author? He, he was pastor of uh, a Church of Christ Church in San Antonio for many years. He's one of my favorites. And so I, I'm not, in saying this, I'm not trying to slam him. But there's a quote from Max Lucado that you see passed around on the internet a lot that talks about how God loves us so much that if he had a wallet, our picture would be in it. If he had a fridge, our picture would be on it. He just can't get us off our minds. I get that. I get what Max is saying. He's trying to speak to people who feel worthless and say there's somebody who cares about you and he's the most important person of all. But if that's your view of the love of God, it's not accurate. If you take Max Lucado out of context, you're getting a skewed idea of what God's love is. Because God doesn't love us because we're cute. And God doesn't love us because we're smart. And God doesn't love us because we have potential. God loves us in spite of who we are. He died for us not because there was something in us that he lacked. Do y'all get that right? There's this weird idea out there that, well, God created humans because he was lonely. No, God didn't. God wasn't lonely. God didn't need anything. God had Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He had everything he needed. Jesus didn't die for us because, man, heaven's going to be awfully boring if you're not here. Jesus died for us in spite of what we were, in spite of of what we did to him. He died for us simply because that's who he is. Some of you may remember there was a movie uh, several years ago called The Vow. Channing Tatum, Rachel McAdams. It's a pity they couldn't get two attractive people to be in that movie. Um, any, let's confession time. Anybody, how many of you saw that movie, The Vow? Anybody? Yeah, about half. So the, the, the plot of the movie is... You know, they're this charming, beautiful couple, everything in the world going for them, and then they have a car wreck, and she, is, she sustains a traumatic brain injury. Of course, she still looks like Rachel McAdams afterwards because it's a movie, but um, afterwards, she can't remember him, has no memory of him at all. Um, the old boyfriend comes trolling around, trying to get her back. You know, she's, she doesn't know this guy she's married to. She's thinking of leaving him, and of course, Channing Tatum does all this great stuff to win her back. Spoiler alert, they live happily ever after. Now, that story is based on an actual true story. There really was a couple who were married. They got in a wreck. The wife could not remember him to this day, remembers nothing about their previous life together. The difference in the story is he didn't win her back. She didn't fall back in love with him. She just said from day one when she woke up and realized, oh, I'm married, she said, I promised this guy I was going to love him, so I'm going to love him. Now, I, I remember reading that, and then I made a mistake. Never do this. Never do this. I read the comments underneath the article online. You know, that's always a mistake. And one of the comments was, you know, this is really disappointing. I, I, liked, I liked the version where he won her back. That was much more romantic. And I thought, no, actually... 
it's much better that she didn't put conditions on it. She didn't say, okay, you have to have abs like Channing Tatum and you have to you know, win me back. I'm, I made a promise and I'm going to keep it. That's what love really is. And you know why that's better? If that's my wife, I know, oh, she's going to love me when I don't look as good as I did on the day we got married. She's going to love me when I'm not, you know, when I've got hair coming out my nose, which, by the way, it's already happening. But um, (laughs) Carrie's a lucky gal. So, um, yeah. (laughs) So a love that's less dependent on our performance is actually real love. Love that's love when it's hard. So, um, you know, when you've got a best friend and your best friend makes you mad and your whole friend group is mad at your best friend, right? And you want to join in with them. Y'all are all sitting around talking about your best friend and, and what, how mean she is and, and how inconsiderate she was and you want to join in. That's how you feel too. But you stand up for her and you say, hey, I'm sure she just had a bad day. Let's cut her some slack. That's real love when it's hard. You know, at, at a wedding, I know this isn't popular, but at a wedding, I like to say, when I'm doing the wedding, um, you know, these two have strong feelings for each other, but they don't really know what love is yet. Maybe this is why I don't do many weddings. Um, you know, because it, it's not love when you know, you've just dieted long enough to fit into that dress and and he showed up on time and he's wearing this tux and, you know, that's not love. That's beautiful. I affirm it. But it's love when he loses his job because he yelled at his boss and now we have to move out of the apartment and move back in with my parents. And yet I'm still believing in you. It's love when she goes through postpartum depression that's so bad that all of a sudden I've got to take care of the baby and I don't know anything about taking care of a baby. And I don't complain about it. That's when it's love. Um, When a parent doesn't tell his kid how tired he is from staying up late to help him with his homework, this is hypothetical. I've never actually done that. Carrie's the homework person. But when, when I don't wake up in the morning and say, are you happy? I can't, I didn't sleep at all last night. And that, 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 that same day, the, the dad drives all day to visit his mom and his dad on, their own, on his only free Saturday that month. That's love. That's love because it cost something. It wasn't easy, but he did it. So when was the last time you did something you didn't want to do for someone and you didn't tell anyone how much trouble it was? You start making a habit of doing those kinds of things. That's when you're starting to grow in your ability to love others. Do something you don't want to do for someone and don't tell anybody how much trouble it was. Just try it. Second thing we know from these scriptures, love does what is needed most. Love does what is needed most. And we think of love in terms of grand gestures, don't we? We think of diamond rings. We think of big, huge gifts. We think of uh, people posting things on billboards or social media. Um, I, I was informed when my daughter was in high school there is such a thing as a promposal now. I had no clue. Man, I thank God that didn't exist when I was a kid. I mean, I had a hard enough time as a teenage boy. I knew nothing about girls, but if I had to do some elaborate thing just to ask a girl to the prom, I would have been lost. And yet that's what girls expect now. 
And I wanna, I wanna sit these teenage girls down and say, you know you're setting yourselves up for a lifetime of disappointment, right? Real life is not like this. We think of love in terms of grand gestures. But what if God had simply done a grand gesture? What if the word said, uh, God loved you so much that he created a new planet and named it after you? Well, that'd be fun. It wouldn't do you much good. Thanks, God. You've created a planet I can't see without a telescope and I'll never go to, but you named it after me and I'm still lost. God, instead of doing a grand gesture, he did what was needed. Have you ever had a friend or a loved one or relative who buys you elaborate gifts you'll never use? I, I hope uh, this relative of mine doesn't listen to this podcast, but I've got a relative who thinks she knows my dad and buys him gifts every Christmas, and every Christmas he's like, no, no, this, this is not it. <laughs> you don't know anything about me after all the years we've been in the family together. You've probably had things like that where someone buys you something and you think, okay, I've got to act like I want this. <laughs> Does that make you feel loved? No, it doesn't. At best, you think, okay, they tried, but they never really tried to understand you. That's the problem. And, and let me tell you, there is this myth out there that, that we, we can't understand one another. Men can't understand women, right? Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. That's baloney. Um, we're both from Earth, last time I checked. Um, real love means you get to know that person well enough that you know what they need. And that doesn't happen overnight because the people God brings into your life, your friends, your coworkers, even your kids, are going to be very different from you. And it takes a long time to understand them. And it can be frustrating when you think you've done something really good and find out, well, that didn't meet their needs at all. But it's worth it. Now, starting next week and for the five weeks after, we're going to talk specifically about how to love people in a way that they actually feel loved. But for now, just take out of your vocabulary the word or the sentence, I just can't understand him. I, I just can't understand her. They don't make sense to me. And I'm the worst. I've said that a, a million times about my kids, about others. Just get rid of that. If you love them enough, you'll do the hard work to learn. You may never completely understand that person, but you'll know them well enough to know, I know if I do this thing, it's going to make them happier. I know if I do this thing, it's going to help her out. And then third, we know from these scriptures, real love is like death. Now, I know that sounds terrible. And I'll admit, I said it that way to get your attention, but it's also biblically true. Because in that second verse, that second passage we read, it says, we know love because Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We ought to lay down our lives. That doesn't mean that you earn salvation by sacrificing for others. It does mean that because Christ gave his life for us, if we're really his followers, we're going to want to emulate him. We're going to want to emulate him because we admire him, because we enjoy him, because we find in him perfection and we want to be that, but also because we know it makes him happy when we do what he did. And so every time we're able to lay down our lives for someone else, that brings him joy and it makes us closer to him. You know, I... 
I know this sounds like I'm cutting my own throat as a preacher, but as much as I want you to be in church every Sunday, as much as I want you to be in life group, as much as I want you to study the scriptures for yourself, none of that is worth anything if you're not growing in your ability to lay down your life for others. Let me say that again in a different way. You can know the Bible better than anybody in this room. You can know it so well, you could get up and out-teach anybody in this church, and that's saying something. But if you're not more consistently sacrificing your needs for someone else's benefit, if you're not doing that more consistently now than you were five years ago, then all that Bible knowledge is worth nothing. Nothing. Zero. There's not a Bible trivia quiz to get into heaven. And nobody's going to impress that you can, nobody's going to be impressed that you can spell Melchizedek, okay? They need to see real love in you and in me. And it doesn't mean we have to literally die for others to love them. Most of us will never have the opportunity to do that. A few of you who are first responders might, and we hope you don't. But Jesus has already laid down, literally laid down his life for us. But we can lay down our lives for them in many ways. They make us angry, we choose to let it go. We don't make an issue of it. We don't strike back. We don't complain. We don't even talk to other people about it. We just let it go. And by the way, after a while, after being married a while, I realized if I just let it go, it goes away. Whereas if I try to let it out, that's what I thought I was doing. Let it out so I don't, you know, store it up. No, that actually makes things worse. If I just let it go, A couple of days pass, and I think, okay, I was an idiot for being mad in the first place. Secondly, when we do something extremely thoughtful for them and they don't even acknowledge it, we choose not to hold their lack of gratitude against them. That's laying down your life. You've done this fantastic thing. You've you've slaved away helping them. You've really sacrificed, and you want some acknowledgement, right? And they don't even seem to notice. If you don't bring that up, that's an act of love. That's laying down your life. That's saying, I did this sincerely for you. And you may, you may, you may tell me, but, but I wouldn't really be sincere in that. It doesn't matter. It's still an act of love. It's still an act of love if you choose not to hold their lack of gratitude against them. Or another example, when what they need goes directly against what we most want and we let their needs win out, without complaint. I've got an example, and I've used this one before. I knew a man um, whose adult daughter felt called to missions, and she and her husband got married, and uh, I said that wrong, didn't I? She and a young man got married. She wasn't her husband. And, yeah, anyway, um, she and this young man got married. He felt called to missions too, and they moved to another continent, and that really messed up the, 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 my friend's wife because this is her daughter, leaving for another country. And then it really got bad when they had a baby because that's, that's my grandchild. That's my grandchild. And I never see them except once every seven years when they go on furlough. And I, I can't even go see them because it costs too much to fly to another continent. And we both work and we can't. And so every time I would see this guy, and I wouldn't see him often, but every time I'd see him, I'd say, how, how are you doing? He'd say, I'm fine, but my wife's still struggling. It just, she can't get over the fact that her daughter and her granddaughter or in another continent. And I prayed for her, and I tried hard not to judge her, but I I kept thinking, you realize your wants are getting in the way of your daughter's calling. 
right? Sometimes the calling God places on people we love is going to get in the way of what we want. And love, laying down your life, means I bless what you're doing because I know you're doing the will of God. I bless what you're doing because I'm happy for you to obey what God has called you to do. So here's my challenge for you. It's almost 1030. Pray something like this and and make this your habit. Pray, Lord, show me how to lay down my life for someone today. Show me how to lay down my life for someone today. You you can't do it, but, but he can do it through you and he can teach you how to love. So every day, look for an opportunity. What can I do that will be what is needed most. This is not just some grand gesture. Look at me, I'm laying down my life for you. This is something that really meets a need in the heart and the life of someone who we care about. This is something that is genuinely sacrificial. And and this is something that is done without any ceremony, without any call of attention, without expecting anything in return. You start to do that and you learn how to love through doing that. I'm sorry, coming to this is a good thing, but if all you do is come to this class once a week from now through December, you still probably won't be any better at loving than you were before. You've got to actually practice. You've got to actually do it. So when you go and you do these sacrificial acts, if it doesn't seem to fit their needs, you learn from that. You say, okay, I guess that isn't really what you need from me. You say that in your own mind. You don't say that out loud to them. When you do something and it does work, you don't tell people, You don't say, do you know what I did for my next door neighbor? Do you know what I did for my ungrateful parents? No, you just do it. And love becomes habit forming. And I know there are some people who are thinking, now, if I have this attitude, won't I get taken advantage of? Yeah, yeah, you will. But that's okay, because there's somebody looking out for you. See, part of our problem in our relationships is we feel like I've got to stand up for myself else that other person is going to take advantage of me. Well, guess what? God is looking out for you. And unless there's real abuse going on, you just keep loving that person. If you think the scales are tilted and you're giving more than that other person is giving, whoever that person might be, know that God is on your side. God is looking out for you. God is blessing you in ways that you don't know. He's the one who commanded us to love this way. And he loves us more than anybody possibly could. So this command is actually for our good. So don't worry that that person is not reciprocating. God is working it out. Trust him, okay? He will make it up to you. And he'll bless you in ways that you, advocating for your own self, never could. All right, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for loving us the way you did. Your sacrifice for us was not just an example of righteousness. It wasn't just a way of saying, I love you. Lord, it was exactly what we needed. We were were lost. We We were still sinners. And you paid the price in our place. Lord, your whole life was lived that way. It wasn't just one moment. Help us, Lord, to walk in the shadow of that cross, to live loving others that way. That doesn't come naturally to us. And if all of us are honest, we can think of ways that we're not doing love. 
but I pray that we would grow in our ability to love. Lord, show each of us this week opportunities we have to lay down our lives for someone else in a very practical way, in a way that will make their day better, in a way that will make them feel appreciated and loved. And I pray that that would become habit-forming and all of our relationships would improve because we treat people that way. Lord, I pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.